0: Well, it is good to be back here again, see some old familiar faces with no emphasis on old. <laughs> um, our journey's been interesting over the years. Uh, most of you know what that journey is um, and we've been involved in ministry for a long time now and I was involved in Youth for Christ for 25 years and was the international president um, and we lived in America until two years ago. Uh, I was the international president for 10 years. And uh, I just mentioned that because I will be drawing on one of the stories from that time. And uh, it's great to be back and involved in local church and supporting local church. And we're seeing some growth in our movement. Uh, We've planted five new churches over the last couple of years, and we're planting, and uh, we'll be starting another church in the city um, this year, and uh, one out in Epping area uh, with mainly Samoans. Population out there, and um, and so yeah, it's exciting to be part of that, and I'm, I continue to be involved globally, uh, mentoring and coaching global leaders, particularly emerging uh, leaders and organisations, global organisations that are going through significant change and renewal. Um, so it's exciting time in us, our, our life. It always is, you know. We we, um, we have just been uh, so blessed to be so involved in the kingdom globally. Uh, for so long, and, and we continue to do that, and it's great to be back here where really it all began, and, uh, and it's a very formative time for me and for Jenny, who <coughs> came into this church community through me. And everybody was questioning why she wasn't from another Brethren Assembly. Um, so, you know, I think we're past that. And and uh, but they said, well, that's typical of David Rape to go and do something like that go and find somebody who doesn't belong uh, but yeah any soon belonged and this was a great place to be when I was growing up as a teenager uh, there was a lot of teenagers here a lot of young people and many have gone on to ministry and uh, long term commitment to Jesus. Um, last time I was here I talked about um, what it means to live the kingdom I, I looked at the um, Lord's Prayer and and how Jesus asked us to pray that His kingdom would come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to build on that and talk about um, what it means to be a blessing, what it means to live the kingdom in our community. You know, when Jesus was asked a question, um, you know, what does it mean to follow you? He gave lots of answers, but he he also gave very short answers. And then Paul did the same thing. He picked up on some of that, and um, and so he said, you know what? If you if you want to sum everything up, then the entire law is summed up in a single command: love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was asked the same thing. You know, what? How do we part of your kingdom? What does it look like? You know, give us a complex answer. And really, this is what Jesus said. Well, Jesus said, well, you know, if you want to be part of this, if you really want to follow God, and you want to be uh, part of my kingdom then love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind that's the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments and then in the sermon on the mount jesus said so and everything do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets so, you know, if we want to talk about living for Christ if we want to talk about what it means to be a believer in this world then, you know, and we want a, a, a sort of a summary that captures all that, that. This is it. Jesus gave it to us. Paul re-emphasised it in Galatians. Love your neighbour as yourself. So, what does that mean? Well, I talked about, um, as I said last time I was here, I talked about uh, what it looks like to... To follow the Lord and, and you know, he asked us to pray. I believe the Lord's prayer is an imperative as much as a pattern for prayer and you know the disciples came along and said, Jesus teaches to pray and he said, Well, when you pray, pray this. You know, um, our Father in heaven, that would be so good acknowledge God's sovereignty and then pray that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven so if Jesus was, when Jesus was asked what, how should we pray he said well not only this is how you should pray this is what you should pray for and if Jesus said this is what you should pray for then surely that's what he wants to see happen why would he ask us to pray for these things if he didn't want us to live them and so I think the Lord's Prayer is an imperative and, um, and I believe that you know the way that, that we're meant to apply that is through loving others. And the first thing that people should should experience when they encounter the church is blessing. first thing that people experience when they were genuinely searching and they encountered Jesus was blessing. first thing that we're told that we're meant to do is love others as we love ourselves. And so I believe the first thing that should happen is that people should be blessed and then they should feel they belong because I think that Jesus died for everybody on this earth and they all have a place in his kingdom. And it's a tragedy that not everybody takes their place and that should be something that drives us constantly. There's all these these places for these people. Everybody has a place in God's kingdom because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, not just those who are part of the church. And it's really a tragedy that all these people have a place in God's kingdom and they're taking it. Maybe they don't know about that and they should know about that. So when people encounter the church they should feel they should belong. They should feel that, well, we belong there. And then thirdly, Um, I think what should happen is that people should be directed to Jesus and believe in Jesus, not in a a culture or in a whole ideology or in a whole lot of propositions, but I think what we're asked to do is introduce people to Jesus and people believe in Jesus and then they become everything that he has designed for them to be. And so I don't think you'll probably remember all that I talked about last time I was here because it was about 18 months ago. But I I have shared that message. I've written a book about it. It's called Kingdom Come and and I've been asked on a number of occasions, all all right, thanks for that, David. And you say the first thing that's meant to happen when people encounter the church and and encounter Christians is they should be blessed. What does it mean to bless people? What does that look like? So today I want to talk about what it means to be a blessing. How can we be a blessing to people? How can we as a church share Jesus through blessing them? What should people experience when they encounter us in our community? We're called to share the kingdom with others. The Great Commission, uh, I believe, is all about sharing the kingdom and blessing others. So... how do we be a blessing well i left you with this prayer last time i was here and i think this is a good starting point maybe maybe if everyone in god's kingdom prayed this prayer and then lived it we would see a bit of a difference lord i know there's someone you want me to bless today please help me to be sensitive enough to your spirit to know who that is courageous enough to act on your direction and willing enough to sacrifice what is necessary to bless them. If every one of us got up in the morning and the first thing we did was pray this prayer, Lord, there's somebody out there today, I know there's somebody out there today that you want me to bless. Help me to be able to see that, to know it when I encounter them. And Lord, give me the courage and the willingness to do what is necessary to bless them because it does take a bit of courage to go out and bless people and go out of your way and and encounter people and react and, and interact with people. And Lord, help me be willing to sacrifice what is necessary because you know anything in this world, anything in the kingdom is not worth anything if we don't give up anything for it and Jesus asked us, Jesus gave up his whole life for us and he asked us to give up everything for him and, and it's about sacrifice, it's about giving up things, it's about giving to Jesus and giving to others. And so are we willing to give that? If we prayed this and then went out deliberately looking for people that we could bless in our circle of influence every day, I believe it would change the world. But what prevents us from doing that? What prevents us from going out and deliberately encountering, uh, looking for those people that we encounter who we can bless? What are the things that stop us in the church and Christians from truly representing Jesus and loving others? Why aren't we seeing more of this? Why aren't we hearing daily from people, oh, I met a Christian the other day, Christians are fantastic. They really care about others. They help me out. Boy, I really want what they've got. Whatever it is, has changed them. it's so different than everybody else. They seem to the care beyond themselves. They're willing to give anything to anybody. Do you hear that? What's stopping that? Why aren't we seeing more of that? Why aren't we hearing more of that? Rather than all Christians are those who condemn everybody else, who live for themselves, who hate the world and hate everybody else in it. What is stopping us? I believe there's a number of things that stop us from blessing others. First of all, um, got everybody to get past these. We're going to skip through these. Um, First of all, I believe it is wrong motivation. Now, when I was um, when I was struggling with with my developing faith as a young person, and um, I was sort of trying to work it all out, um, I was I was constantly told um, in this church and in other places too, you've got to be a witness. You know, you've got to be a witness. You've got to be a witness to to your friends. You've got to tell your friends about uh, Christianity, and you've got to convince them that they've got to become Christians. And um, and so. Uh, You know, there were times when I was asked, "Well, have you witnessed this week? Have you witnessed this week?" Now, maybe people who have been in the church just a short time haven't experienced that, but I grew up in this church and the tradition, and in this context of you've got to witness, you know, you've got to tell other people. Well, you know, and I felt guilty about not doing that. I'd come along the church and I felt guilty about it. So, motivated by guilt, one day I went out and I told one of my friends that they should be a Christian, and and it was a disaster and they all call me a religious idiot and, you know, I got, it was just terrible. And then I told them, well, you're going to hell, something like that, you know, and, and told them the reasons why they needed to become a Christian and it was all about how, how you know, they were in big trouble if they didn't become a Christian, you know. And I was, I was forced, I felt I had to do it so I could come back to church and say, all right, I did our witness this week. Well, it was terrible. It was a disaster, you know. So, um, and, and so, you know, what was my motivation? I was motivated by guilt, when Jesus tells us to go out and love others, you know we 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 should share Him with others because we love them and because we want them to know Jesus. But I was motivated by, motivated by guilt, and generally, when you, you're operating like that, it's adversarial. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the problems I think we encounter is because we take an adversarial approach to to witnessing, which is. I've got it all right. My life's sorted out. Yours isn't. You're in big trouble. You're going to hell. You know. You're, you're, my way's better than yours, and I'm going to make a case for that. Well, when you do that, immediately people become defensive, and they're going to argue the case, and so it's an adversarial approach. So, so the motivation is well, I've got to do this. I am motivated by guilt, and I've got to take. And, I, and these people are in big trouble, and I'm going to tell them that. The other thing that if we have that particular driving force behind us then the other thing is that we'll we'll often not do anything because we say, as I said after having that experience, well clearly I'm not equipped to do this. I need to have some education or I need to have other ways of doing this. I don't know how to do that. I feel so inadequate I can't witness so I'm not going to do it again. And because we say that this is formulaic and it's adversarial and because we're driven by guilt, we say, well, okay, I've got to have a reason for not doing it and the reason for not doing it is I'm not equipped. And so when are we ever going to be fully equipped and able to do it? Well, maybe when we go to Bible college and then we go and do this and we go and do that and I'll go and do another course and I'll go and do another course and I'll go and do another course and then I I still don't feel like I've got it. All I found out from that course is that the person who was teaching was really good at it and he told me about all these examples about how you sit next to somebody in a plane and they become a Christian you know, and automatically and I don't have that so I'm not equipped to do it so I'm not going to do it. And so it's all this this motivation is all wrong. So what's the answer? Well I believe we're we're equipped as soon as we become a follower of Jesus we're equipped of all the things that we need to actually share Jesus with others because he's with us. And we have a capacity to love others. And loving others is much easier than telling them what's wrong with them. We don't want people... The thing that I think the problem is maybe with all that is that we don't... We shouldn't be out there to convince people that Christianity is better than another way of life. We don't want people to convert to Christianity really. We want them to meet Jesus and become a follower of Jesus. We don't want them replacing one ideology with another ideology. We want them to actually be introduced to a person and be in a relationship with that person. And so it's much easier when we feel that, okay, well, okay, not get this. I don't have anything much that I can offer and I'm really not an expert in everything, and anything, and particularly about what it means to do all the right things and tick all the right boxes and, and, and know all the theology. But... We're not told to do all that, we're told to love others as we love ourselves. So I think the first issue that we're going to overcome is this motivation issue, what is motivating us? And it should be a love for these other people. Other people, we should look for ways in which we can bless them. Another um, thing that I think that gets in the way from us going out and blessing people is our fear of rejection. I was talking to a guy, um, actually in a Skype call, uh, in 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 England, um, somebody in Alpha in introduced me to him and he 's doing a lot of research at the moment uh, his name 's michael and he 's doing a lot of research at the moment in to why people actually find it so hard why Christians find it so hard to go out and have God conversations with other people and um, and so he 's done research uh, in this for ten years and um, he was actually helping Alpha out, encouraging people, trying to find ways to encourage people to go out and invite them to Alpha, you know. And he said, I'd go and i and he said, I decided I'd actually do some follow up and I'd get the church, you know, and I did, did a bit of research here. And so I'd go out and I'd talk about it and I'd inspire everybody and they say yes. And he said, How many people are committed to going out this week and inviting somebody to Alpha? And he said, 90% of the people would put up their hands. And he said, I found through my research, that less than ten percent would actually go out after putting out the hand and saying I've got to do it and invite somebody. And so I, I came up with all the reasons why that was the case, you know. Um, they, you know, they didn't have opportunity, they were thinking the church was really badly represented in the world, and so they associated with the church, you know, there was all these things that he had all these reasons he thought, but when he actually delved deep and he talked to these people and he did what he found was the major driving force behind people not doing this was fear of rejection, fear of rejection. They had a past experience where they have been rejected, where they have made an advance or, you know, and tried to do something and they been rejected and because they feared getting rejected again, that was the major reason behind them not going out. So past experiences, my past experiences as a young person stopped me from sharing Jesus for a number of years. I, was fear, I Had this fear of being rejected again in John'm um, oh sorry in one John four and verse 18, we read "Perfect love casts out fear. And I think the antidote to fear is love, and, and again, I believe it's coming back to actually loving people and loving yourself. So I want to talk about that next. Um, Actually, they're in the wrong order because I do want to talk about loving yourself. So if we're told to love others as we love ourselves and that's the basis for uh, us reaching the world um, and that sums up everything that we're meant to be doing in the world, loving others as we love ourselves, then let's consider what happens if we don't like ourselves? What happens if we hate ourselves? What happens if we don't accept ourselves? And once if we're trying to be something different? Well, if you to love others as you love yourself and you hate yourself, what are you going to do? You're going to hate others. You're going to be critical of others. And, and you know, I, we encounter these people in the world who are highly critical, who are always trying to put people down and everything. But if you dig deep and, you know, I, I did a Master's degree in clinical psychology and did some counselling ministry at some time, for some time and certainly we've been counting a lot of young people who had a lot of uh, anger and and. and and a really critical spirit and when you delve deep they really actually didn't like themselves at all and and if you dug a bit deeper they were told that they were no good all their life by, by their parents or by all these people who had abused them and hurt them and everything else so they said oh, I'm worth nothing and therefore nobody else is worth anything and how can I like other people I don't even like myself. Jesus said to love others as we love ourselves and I think one of the problems is that we we're always creating this image of what we should be and, uh, and we have this, this impression in the church that we have going to continually change into something else. But I don't believe that God wants to change who we are. I think God wants us to be everything he's created us to be and I think the problem is that we're trying to be something that we're not. Now often when you uh, don't feel good about yourself, you look at other people and you say, well, they're really good at that and then those people over there are really good that person there and you put together this super person or picking on all the things that these, all the good things everybody else does. You never see all the bad things. You say, well, this is what I'm meant to be like and you can never aspire to that. Actually, God just wants us to be us and I think one of the problems is we're all trying to be everything else and the media drives that. We're all told this is what you're meant to be and, you know, we've got all these images and the reason why we go and buy stuff is because we want to be something different than what we are. That's much of what drives it. Well, your life's no good the way it is. You've got to go and buy this product or do this thing to make it better. Whereas Jesus comes along and says, actually, I like you the way you are and I want you to be more of you. Nobody can be you as well as you can be you. You know, it's it's... who was it Uh, who said be yourself everybody else in the world is taken (laughs) i don't remember who it was who said that i think that's what god wants for us it's just to love ourselves to accept ourselves to say wow i really like how many of you have ever prayed i love the way you made me jesus not many people say yes to that I love the way you made me, I am really unique and boy there's some quirky things about me and that's really funny that you did that to me but I love it, I love the fact that you made me who I am and I can see how my uniqueness can be used by you in this world to bless others and it's not about self-promotion, it's actually about self-acceptance and if we don't accept ourselves, we don't love ourselves and we don't celebrate who we are then it's very hard for us to love others and to give to others of ourselves if we don't know who we're meant to be. And then lack of intentionality. intentionality. See, I'm going to have to put that around the other way. Um, I think lack of intentionality is a big one too because... Uh, we're missing the opportunities because we're not even looking for them. That's why I gave you that prayer. Let's go out and deliberately look for opportunities to bless people. If we don't go out every day thinking, "Well, how am I going to find an opportunity? How am I going to bless somebody?" We'll never be able to bless them because we won't see them. We're told in Colossians four five, make the most of every opportunity, and I believe there are opportunities in our life all the time. In fact, I don't. I think we miss a lot of opportunities because we don't take the first step. You know, we we don't step out and take a risk and bless somebody and therefore we don't get an opportunity to bless others because Jesus can only use us when we're moving. <laughs> if we're stopped and we're not moving then how can he use us? And I've had a number of conversations with um, church leaderships uh, over, the, over recent this past year um, where they were just going through the motions of managing what they had and they said this is not working anymore and so we said, well, all right, are you ready to take some risks? Are you ready to step out? Are you ready to... And they, and they had to say yes to something. And they said, yes, we're ready for that. And they took that step and and things started to happen. And they said, oh, wow, God's done some stuff. And then they took another step and they took another step and as they started to move, God blessed. Them. And, and, and they intentionally made decisions to be different. That things were not... The best, the way they were. And we've seen the revitalisation of a number of churches because of that. One church in particular went along, I spoke at their church, they said, we need you. And I went along I spoke at their church, there was 12 people there. Six months later I went and spoke at that same church, there was 45 people there and about 10 of them were unbelievers. And they'd just taken these little steps and taken the risks and God was blessing them. Now let's look at some examples of blessing because I think we need to be practical. Um, so I think there's a number of ways that we can, we can bless people and you know every, every one of us lives somewhere. Uh, if you have somebody who's homeless in this church then you do have an opportunity for blessing, alright? But I would say that most of you, well probably safely all of you have somewhere to live. So we have a home, we have somewhere where we live, that's the first place. That we can be a blessing in the home. This uh, journalist, Lana Gates, wrote a little article in a newspaper in the States that I read. She said, My husband made our bed this morning. I am in awe. (laughs) You see, in our 18 years of marriage, I can count on one hand the number of times my husband has done this deed all on his own. There have been many times he's helped me make the bed, but today he did it without my knowledge. And that little act of kindness made my day. Why would such a little thing mean so much? Because it says to me that my husband was thinking of me. He knows I've been busy and wanted to do a small thing to help me. One little act, one little act that was out of the ordinary where the husband actually thought, what can I do to bless my wife today? Caused such an impact in her life that she wrote this article and said that it virtually changed my life. It actually gave me a great sense of encouragement and, and I really felt loved. When Jesus tells us he's going to go and love others, So in the home, what can we do in the home? What can we do to think beyond the routine and normal things that we do? How can we show that we love others and bless them? Go out of our ways. First, we're asking the Lord give me an opportunity to bless somebody. Let's go to home first. That's the first place where we live. Do something you're not meant to do. Think proactively. Take a step. Make a difference. Then in the marketplace. Marketplace is where you work. Where you go to school, where you reside most of your life. Where you reside in the marketplace. So what can we do in the marketplace? Well, we say, Lord, does somebody you want me to bless? We go out and we start looking. And we talk to somebody who's let's say we're in office, we talk to somebody who's there and they say, You know what, we've got young kids and you know, I just think I'm feeling so distant from my wife now. She's looking after the kids all the time. We used to go out, you know, and I don't know where my life's going. Opportunity. You know us, my wife. you met my wife, so you can trust us. How about we come over one night, look after your kids, you go out for dinner. In fact, you know what? I, uh, I've got some vouchers or something to go to some fancy restaurant and we don't know what to do with them, so how about we pay for you to go out for dinner and we'll look after your kids. Just a simple comment. Somebody picks up on, easy. You now, they didn't have to convince them that they're going to hell. They didn't have to tell them, you know, that my way is better than yours. They didn't have to have all the theological answers for everything. They just saw an opportunity and they bless these people. Another one. In your office or wherever you are, out working, and somebody says, oh, we're moving house this weekend. Well, when that happens, usually everybody looks the other way or they try to get on their computer really quick <laughs> and then they just hope that this person doesn't know that they have a trailer (laughs) because you know i hate moving and i hate carrying things and my back's all you know and you've got all these reasons why and just but what what would what would jesus do i mean you know what should we do how would we respond to that if we heard that you know should we say well i i haven't got a trailer but my mate has i can go and get his trailer i can come and help you would you like some help how about we bring you lunch How many people have got the help? What are you doing? Can we help with that? It's just a simple thing. People share their life. If they don't share their life, you can ask questions to hear about their life and when you hear things, you can pick up on those opportunities and go and do something about. They're overwhelmed. Somebody's overwhelmed and trying to do a job. You've got yours done. It's not my responsibility to rescue them. They came in late. It's their own stupid fault. They deserve to get what they get for not getting their job done. It'll make me look good. But what would be Jesus' way? Oh, look, I see that you're really struggling. I've got my stuff done. How about I do that for you? Can I help you with that? And, you know, we think in terms of justice all the time when Jesus said it's no longer about right and, you know, it's not about getting things right and making sure everybody pays for their their way in this life. It's actually about grace, you know. You give to people even though they don't deserve it. Guess what? I died for you, and you didn't deserve it. How about you go and give a little bit to somebody else, even though they don't deserve it, and even if they've got themselves in the trouble because of all their own stupid decisions? Does that mean we don't help them? Well, yeah, of course. They've got to learn to, you know, to face the consequences of life. No, actually, no. Grace says no. We don't actually have to face the consequences of our stupid decisions because Jesus died for all our stupid decisions and all our sin, and we should live a life of grace and help people when they need help even though they've got themselves into the situation through making silly decisions. And one of the biggest things we can do is stick up for people when they're not there. If you say you're somebody's friend and then you're sitting there and talking about and these people say, oh, I hear what someone's so did, oh, yeah, I know, there you go, let me tell you the details. But if you say, hang on a minute, you're talking about somebody who is my friend and I don't think it's good that you do that. If we stick up for somebody... When they're not there, we're loving them. These are just things that we can do in the marketplace. And then in the community. I'll give you an example. Now, we live all live in communities. As I said, we all live somewhere we're in a community. What can we do to bless the community? What can we do to be Jesus in that community? Uh, we were pioneering ministry uh, around the world in youth for Christ. We had these young leaders that we were raising up and they were going planting new work in, in various places in the world. And this young guy, we identified this young guy in Albania and, uh, and Orges, and he was an amazing young leader. He fitted all our profile, the sort of young leader we wanted to invest in, and so we invested in him to plant a ministry in Albania. Anyway, he's in it. He's, he was there, he was going around, he was starting to connect with the churches. The church is very fragmented in Albania. He started connecting, bringing people together. They started reaching young people, they were reaching a lot of young people. They're seeing these young people come to Jesus, going for a couple of years. And what he found was he kept encountering these families that seemed to be isolated and really in trouble as he was getting involved in these communities. These people, this particular group of people, particular demographics seemed to be really wrestling. With life and family and everything else, and these were people who had children who were suffering from a thing called thalassemia. And thalassemia is a is an autoimmune blood disorder. Um, it's genetic, uh, and so you know these kids are born with it. And it's very unique to the Mediterranean area. and 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 the the symptoms are um, anemia, deformity of the face. Um, all kinds of issues associated with the lack of of, uh, red blood cells and and all kinds of uh, uh, complications which often cause these children to be really small, stunted in growth And, uh, and so people who and there was obviously this is a Albania is a very poor community and they have all kinds of issues in understanding what medical things go on for people and so they thought that other kids could catch it and so these families were totally rejected and alienated in the community. And the only way these kids could be kept alive, there are there other sort of, in a, in a modern society where you'd have a lot of medical facilities, they can do a few other things but really the only thing that would work to keep these kids alive was regular blood transfusions. Only thing. Well, how do these families first of all get somebody get access to the blood and then how do they pay for it? Because they've got to pay for everything. So he's there, he's seeing these people struggling to keep these kids alive and so he decides we're going to have a big party for these people. We're going to invite them all, we're going to give them a great feed and we're going to give them presents and so that's what they did. And here's a picture of them with all the kids getting their presents. And uh, it was just wonderful. All these families hang on a minute, here's somebody who actually cares about us and they're they're doing things for us and this is amazing and they had a great day, all day. In fact, what I just went out was he went and got all the churches in in this whole region to contribute, to be there, to pay money for the presents, to bring food and there's all these people running around who are believers, who are followers of Jesus and they were sharing a little bit about why they were doing this and these families are just feeling blessed at the end of the day Paul just gets up and he says you know what we've got one more gift to give to all of you we've gone around and we have found some doctors and we have got enough people who have agreed in our churches and in our Youth for Christ ministry to give blood and so we're going to provide all the blood you need and all the blood transfusion you need to keep your kids alive what an amazing gift now, it's how appropriate when Jesus gave His blood for us. And, you know, it was just such an amazing response to a need. And guess what? Even the poorest of the poor can give blood. You don't need money, you just need somebody to actually make it work. And they got the medical people to do that as a volunteer. And anybody in the world has enough love. Love is an un. Uh, a, yeah, ultimate resource that never runs out, and everybody, no matter what their station in life, no matter how much money they have, no matter how gifted they are, or educated they are, they can give love, and that's what Jesus tells us to love others as we love ourselves. If I had a thalassemic child, what would I want? I want that child to survive, and they thought that we can do something about this, and they did it. Now I don't know what the needs are in your community but we can respond and we should be the instigators of that. Christians should be known for how they bless others and it's, it's how people will be introduced to Jesus because Jesus came and loved others and blessed others and that's what we're asked to do. That's what our mission call is and that's what these missionaries are doing that you've talked about all over the world is they're loving and blessing others and they're going out of their way, giving up their careers so they can be there and so people can get to know Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you gave everything for us. Lord, help us to be willing to give what is necessary to bless others and to represent you well in this world, to love others as you have loved us, to love others as ourselves, to do for them as we would have them do for us. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.